Welcome to The Solution, a real estate podcast where we, Jeff Seabach and Phil Sexton, bring you real estate agents out there across the country, tactics, tips, tricks, everything that we do to run our business and how we put the consumer first in real estate. So today's topic we're very excited about is really, um, I don't know, it's, it's, this might be one of the better topics on how to improve the skill of the agent. Uh-huh. Thank you, Jeff, for that, for that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. So today's topic is called what to study to improve your conversion rate. And it's really the, um, the how to be a better, how to, what actions, what, what research projects that agents should have in order to um, change the words that come out of their mouth to be of value to the consumers that they work with, whether that be their sphere, whether that be um, internet leads, open house visitors, people they come into contact with at the grocery store that say how, that, that ask how the market is. Right, Jeff? Absolutely. I mean, there is, and this is the least invested of all the things that we, you know, I mean, all of the investments appears to be in real estate on the sales tactic side, right? Everybody wants to talk about how they can, they can have this listing presentation that closes more and they can have, well, you know, and this script and that script. And, and to me, um, we go the, the way of the knowledge more than the way of the script and the way that you build the knowledge is you study the data. And so we're going to get into a little bit more specific, just we're going to break the data out into two different categories. And then we're going to, I mean, challenge everybody that's listening to us on finding the data and memorizing the data. Yes. It's crazy as we, you know. Actually, I think there's a third piece to that, Phil, is um, then speak the data. Yeah, right. Find, memorize, speak. Um. Karin Veer's in our eight-week series that we're doing with eXp right now. And um, that eight-week series where we get people, we call on people to come up onto the stage with us and we try to uh, role play with them, right? Where we talk about these concepts, we try to we try to share what it is that we're talking about on how we communicate with our leads. We think we do a great job of, 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 of putting that out. Jeff and I think we do a great job of putting that out there. And then we call somebody up on stage and we realize man, it's harder than we thought, right? It's hard to, it's hard to um, change the natural um, patterns that come out of our mouths when we're asked questions that we've been asked before, right? We just default to the ruts that we have, that we've created and the tracks that we've created in the past. And to try to get out of that rut means that you got to freaking crank the wheel hard, intentionally jump up out of it and now create new ruts. And that's the, the hardest part for most agents that, that are in our training programs, whether they're be on our team or not. All right, so let's, uh, so the two things that we're gonna cover are, first, are we, are we, gonna, are we gonna stick mostly with marketplace expertise or are we gonna um, stick with or area knowledge? I think that we're going to talk about them both, right? Marketplace expertise is why, uh, give me an example. What do you mean by marketplace expertise, Jeff? Well, what I mean by is the, I mean, I like to take the stock market, for instance, because that is a highly uh, world-renowned 
like real estate, world renowned in that every, you know, everybody can participate or at least everybody with money can participate. All the smartest people in the world own stocks. They own, not all of them own stocks, but they either own real, either you make your money through stocks or real estate. But yet, you know, when you talk to anybody about stocks, they're very aware of all the technical indicators inside a stock, meaning, you know, there's stock patterns, um, there's, uh, you know, there's charts, there's graphs, but there's the, essentially it's the study of stocks that so much time is put in. I mean, you know, uh, several years ago, meaning now 10 years ago, maybe 12, I was on the, oh, I, I might even have the photo behind me. Uh-oh, we got a, we got a closet on, dig. When I was on Fast Money, um, they, you know, it's just amazing that the real estate has not really looked at the analytics of data. And it's something that I have incorporated and I know that it is the reason why I've seen this success that I have. It's, it just, um, because it, it comes off as you being more educated on the market and also because it's not your opinion and that we find most people, when we ask them about the market, they usually you know, give us a minute to three minutes to 10 minutes on their opinion. And because real estate people are not um, believed, your opinion holds less weight. So it's why when you're a friend, it can work. But when you're faced with someone that is a, um, a new Met, an open house visitor or a web lead, um, when you lead with stats on the market, welcome Kimberly, it really enriches their opinion of you. And that's what we're looking for because, I mean, it's kind of based on um, purple cow, right? So because of, you know, when I got in the real estate industry in 2003 through 2008, 2009, and then as eventually I read the purple cow, I was just looking for something that would make me stick out. And I learned that all, I mean, it's almost every real estate agent um, goes after the sales, the, the, the sales techniques. And I thought if we go more towards the science than the sales, that we would be the purple cow. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, this year we're going to approach 250 million. So I'm going to say it's working. Yeah. So when you're talking about marketplace expertise and not giving opinions, but giving data points, you mean like data? I mean, I, I, I've seen you do it over and over again, right? Well, Where, can I, just, in, I would like to like pull up my screen. I mean, is that, can I do that? Well, on the podcast, that doesn't really work. So I know that the people here in the public Zoom room could see it, but you're going to have to be very descriptive. No. Okay. You mean if I, if I pulled it up, if I shared my screen, they wouldn't see it or they would? on a podcast that you're listening oh, to. Okay, good deal. All right, so then we'll walk them through how we get there. Okay, so it's really just as simple as, I mean, you, you need two things um, to start your project. Um, and that is a Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet. Um, and then you need to understand what is the highest common denominator 
of things that matter to all people. And that's usually the point that I find most failure with people with statistics is they go too granular and they go, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, markets travel in areas, travel in general, like, you know, if you live in Arizona or if you live in Phoenix, if the inventory is low in one area, it's low in another area. Um, if you live in San Francisco, same thing. If you live in, in Florida, same thing. It, it, regionally, um, that's the way we want you to speak because it's, it's uh, when you go for too specific, meaning if I, I'll give you an example. So we're gonna go through the first, the first one we're gonna look at is just active for all of our MLS, right? So active, um, and in the class we had a girl, she was in New Jersey and it was active for her county or two counties or three counties, but it's just the total because what we're trying to get to is just the definition of supply, right? Because to make it very simple, we're just trying to, with these stats we're gonna go with is supply, demand and prices, and then how they measure, you know, year over year or past comparisons. Um, it's why in stocks, using my example, there's the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones that is used as an average to tell if the market's going up or down. They, they don't quote Google or Facebook when they're talking about the market because it's too specific. Because when I see people using my example, if I'm talking all of Maricopa County in our instance, and I'm talking about actives, I'm not talking about condos in Chandler. I'm not talking about single family homes only because like those are the breaks that I see people get caught on, but also because it makes it too hard to track. What I'm trying to go to is make it so easy because in, in our MLS, you can just log on to MLS, go to quick search, unselect the UCB and the CCBS and active, and then a number comes up. And then I just simply take that number and I put it on my sheet. And I mean, it's something that you could just track once, once a week or just every time you, you look, maybe two or three times a week. Because um, then that begins to create a, a chart um, over time. So then the second, so we have supply, demand can come in many different ways, but the easiest way to show demand is solds, right? So, um, and all that is, is sold past, you know, October for this, you know, so as soon as the MLS turns to November 1st, I'm gonna look at what sold from October 1st to October 31st. And the way I came up with last month was I looked at September 1st and know that this number changes a little bit because oddly enough, realtors are bad at data. But the, the, the general idea is just to understand the trend that the market is setting and then your ability to articulate that trend and let the consumer come up with their own opinion more importantly than your opinion. Right, so you're you're feeding them the data points that are supportive. Um, lastly, is prices, and then you know it's it's hard because right now um, the luxury market is on fire, 
So the median, which is the stat that NAR uses to talk about prices, says it's up 15%, where the case shillers only up, you know, uh, 9%. So there's, it's, it's why median price is a terrible number to use for an average. All right, Seabach running. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, uh, so then when we're talking about marketplace expertise, you mentioned, I mean, obviously, love the concepts of it all. And I am, you know me, I'm kind of a specifics guy. So you track active listings, you track monthly closings, right? That's active listings is supply, monthly closings is demand. Right. I think we can also, another one to track for demand is um, UCB, CCBS, and pending. So what we call under contract. Under contract, right? Because under contract is your future. So that is the first, that is a leading indicator if demand is going down, if you watch that number, because in our county, that number is as high as it's ever been. So as soon as demand, as soon as, I mean, we're expecting, it's weird because in this time of year, it's normally, um, I mean, we're going to sell 10,000 homes in the month of October and last year was, I think, 77. So it's. So from a, a pricing standpoint, do you, what number do you like, or, um, is there more than one? Say that again. From tracking prices, do you do you also track prices or just supply and demand? I track prices. I mean, I track it at multiple levels. I like right. I. You were doing a pre-Cromford report, right? Like everybody that's not in Phoenix who's trying to track their stats. Do do you? I mean, when we were tracking prices, were you tracking the average price per square foot on a closing in a month? No. The thing were is, the entire- average price for closings of September, like the ninety-six forty-three homes that closed in September. Do you then track what that average price is? Average price. That's what I was tracking when before. I mean, price per square foot didn't exist to the strength that it does now because of Zillow. So right. it was a it was a used generality, but it wasn't public, so the it was harder to explain to people. So we just used average sales price um, to to speak of the the trend. I mean, the because you have the Price per square foot is a, I mean, the beautiful thing is in, in everybody's MLSs, you can usually get, the reason why I like to track three types of sales prices is because you're in sales and you want to use the best one that says your story, you know, most clear. And that is, um, in this case, one that's actually, not, I mean, the you know, for most of us, the Case Shiller Index covers 20 major cities, but talks about the areas they can use that number as well for prices, whatever one's the best one to use. I actually like their number better because it's based on the actual home. Because I, I think that it's hard in sales price because the mix of homes, meaning like right now, we have more luxury houses selling than we ever did. So that skews the averages a lot and is misrepresenting the actual prices moving up. I mean, the, the, the best way for you to tell what your real prices are up 
is just pull. I mean, to me, this is why we have the advantages. I mean, I pull comps 40 times, 50 times a month on different properties. And when I look at year over year, how much house has gone up, I can see that the real price appreciation is not as much as the average. Yeah. Which is hard for people to understand. So that's why I want to use the, but it's, it, it's why I don't feel I'm lying to people when I'm using Case Schiller because, you know, we, <clears throat> there's a neighborhood where we're selling a house and the prices have been up 7% since 2018. And it's saying it went up 9% this year. So, and we had another year in there. So it's really, um, it's more important to be conveying the actual price in a neighborhood. Well, especially once you're on the property level, no question. But when you're talking about conversion rates and winning conversations, winning conversations in an open house, winning conversations in a, uh, from people that come off of the web, you're not as, you're not talking about the 7% on that, you know, individual well, I'm not, property. I'm code. not even talking about prices. I want them to. I, <clears throat> yeah, I but I think that you, you, I'm going to challenge that. I think that you do talk about prices in a historical fashion. Yes. And so the reason why we track prices today isn't so that we can tell them what the price is today. It's Correct. so that we can be aware of the trend when the supply and demand is at the level that it is now, right? Like this morning, we got 8,431 houses for sale. Last month, we sold 9,600. So less than a month's supply. And prices today, which are 411, I mean, prices for the average sales price in the month of September was 411. How does that relate to last September is why I track, is why we track prices today, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I even go back further. I, I mean, to me, I look for, because what, what people want to know is when talking about stats is what is normal and then what is it today? And, you know, there, the stat I use is that we, have, during the growth of the 80, 85 to, to 2004, we averaged three, three to five months supply. I mean, it's hard because most MLSs count UCBs and pendings, you know, or UCBs and CCBSs in their um, active numbers, which it makes it inaccurate by 30 to 40%. So it's why I like to, I mean, I even asked Michael Orr about it and, and he said, I've been fighting armless for years to remove this, but the, the, they, they continue to lie to tell people because, you know, what percentage of UCBs close? 70, 80%. So how can we be using that interactive numbers? So. Nice. Um, all right. So one, track actives. Two, monthly closings. Three, under contracts. Four, average sales price. I got a five in there, which you haven't mentioned yet. What do you think my... I, uh, let's see. What else do we track as far as marketplace expertise on uh, rental rental prices? Oh, that, that that's a number six. I wasn't thinking that. There's oh. one more. There's a big this one. Macro. Family feud style here. Macro, macro. Oh, oh, year yearly sales numbers. Population. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, well, I like population. When, when there's a, 
when there's a particular buyer or seller that wants to tell me that the market's headed for a dumper and population trumps everything because of the fact that 65 currently percent of the population owns a house. So if population's rising, those people are going to want to continue to buy a house. Meaning if you own a, like, you know, I recently found myself separating from my wife and I bought a house. I didn't rent, right? Cause I don't, I'm not a renter. That's just the way people are. If you're buy, if you used to buy in homes, you, they, they buy homes. So the, the point of that is that if you're in an area where your population is rising, we know that there's going to be more demand for houses. I mean, I could not, I, I want to go back to the rental prices. <clears throat> I was not paying attention to this enough, right? Because I, um, I, it had never existed is why. Meaning that- It was flat. It was flat for a decade. It was a, a decade for the yeah. entire, like so far the century, right? It was flat, like- for the first 20, no, for the first century, my decade. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well played. Well played. Well, it, our rental prices had not, were in a range talking about stocks. It was just like right around between 75 cents to a dollar a square foot. And now it was, it had met a low of 80 cents a square foot in, um, 2014 and now it's a dollar 15 a square foot i mean that is just big right it's uh it's funny because you can track because 2016 was a was a slower market yeah it was not a bad market it was just it was tougher there was not a lot of positive news um in the in the marketplace and people were thinking that the market had run too much <laughs> and that the market was going to be flat, but it's, it was just showing rising demand. And it's why we've, we've consistently eaten supply over the past five years is because that demand is, you know, all right, especially, let's move on. Especially, especially now since interest rates, is that the last number five interest rates? I have interest rates. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I think that it's actually, you know, interest rates and um, not as important for us to, to track because they're so publicly available. You can go see the historic interest rate chart with a simple Google search. So it's one that is important to have memorized, but not necessarily from a tracking standpoint. Correct. Yeah. It's, it, you, it, you, it's very easy. I mean, it's important to know that we, when talking about or speaking about the amount of demand, because people want to know the sources um, of rising demand. If you say rising rental prices along with lower interest rates, that that's creating that increase in demand. Yeah. All right. So before we get into section two, which is the what you need to know about your area, let's take a short commercial break. Are you an agent in the Phoenix metro area looking to join an elite team to help expand your business to the next level? Agents that apply our strategies grow their business by an average of 300% in their first year with the CBOC team. 
If you're interested in learning more about our leads, training, and marketing strategies, visit cboc.com careers today. That's S-I-B as in boy, B as in boy, A-C-H dot com slash careers. And now back to the solution. Okay, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Here we go, Jeff. All right, let's jump over into area knowledge. Why is area knowledge important, Seabach? <clears throat> For what side of the business, buyers or listers? I think everybody wants to work with a local area expert. I, I think that, I mean, you know, I know that the amount of buyers that worked with somebody else and then worked with me, that was the number one thing that they said, why? Because they, when they were moving to town, they wanted to work with, because it was a conversation I had with a lot of buyers and that was they wanted to work with someone that had specific knowledge about the area and housing related stuff more than anything else than, than anyone else. So it's just, I'm just, I know that it's, it's what wins. It's, I mean, it's what we, it's, it's actually what we taught for, you know, for the first seven years of the CBOC team for converting internet leads the most was area knowledge. How Um, do you get area knowledge? What's that? How do you get area knowledge? Um, To me, you, uh, you get out and see houses and it happens. Isn't that the boringest thing? Like that is, it's funny. It is the boringest part of being a real estate agent, right? Like people get into real estate because they love people and houses. And then when you tell them to see 25 houses a week, they decide that they don't like houses as much anymore. They're like, I, I don't need to go see 25 houses a week. No, I only need to see a house if I'm going to get a check. <laughs> right. Like if somebody is coming, I actually, so there's three levels, right? When you're, when we talk about previewing for knowledge, I mean, previewing to me, is, it's broken into three levels. The first of which is the easiest to preview for. And that is when you have somebody that's interested in a house, you go out and find, like, it's easiest to get up out of your chair and go find, go look at houses that are similar to what they might be interested in buying. The second level of previewing, which is also, uh, this is the easiest one to go. This is the second easiest one to go. And that's when you're going to do an open house to go out and look at all the properties that are around that open house that you're about to sit is the, is the second easiest one to, to get up out of your chair and go preview to get to 25 houses a week. And then last but not least, the third one, which is the one that's the hardest for people to get up out of their chair and go do is just for your own education. That's the one that falls off first, right? If people get into this business, they're, they're eager. They're going to go see 25 houses a week. They got those, no problem. And then what happens is this one starts to fall. And oddly enough, Phil, this is also purple cow because they hold this, they hold, they hold the la- they hold those two though. Right. And then what happens is they're going to do an open house and then the open house previews start to fall. And then they get, they get some oh. leads. They got a good relationship with somebody. And so then what happens is they start to go visit properties with the client at the same time. Where does, where does realtor tours fall in your little formula? I don't even, I don't that's not what I'm talking about. Like we don't. No, but easy. That's how they, that's how they told me they learned their knowledge is from a realtor tour. But the the, the point is, is that realtor tours don't, uh, let me say this. Are realtor tours better than doing nothing? Yes. But do, do they help you actually ascertain 
value to the level that you need to, they don't. And the reason is because of the width of homes that you see and that realtors are not good at taking notes. Um, the, the reality is, is that the best way to, because what you're trying to learn is you're trying to learn what are the impact things about houses, pluses and minuses, at a price range. <laughs> Sorry, I'm listening. <laughs> yes, very distracting. You and Eric, thank you. Um, but the, what you're trying to learn <clears throat> is what I call the functional obsolescence on the negative side or the positive things such as wood floors or um, quartz countertops or adding in a big, now the big doors that fold open, right? Things that are, I use this real technical term, special good, right? Meaning if the home, if it's a $300,000 neighborhood and it has a pool, it can be good or bad. All you, what you can do is look is, did that house with the pool sell in less than 30 days? Right? Did those, you know what I mean? Because that, that's how you learn is you, you, you see the, the, that feature, you know, I mean, sometimes the hard part about it is sometimes is the, um, the realtor overpriced it. And that's why seeing a lot of houses, you have to realize, you know, it might've been on the market for a hundred days, but when it was price versus condition, if, when it was close, it sold right away. All right. So um, area knowledge, you're talking about like not just functional obsolescence, but also um, like learning what builders are in which section of town. Well, yeah. And I think that plans, well, like when you have somebody that has a certain square footage from that builder, that's all you need to know to know that that's a specific floor plan. Yeah, no, I think uh, be, be, the thing about previewing, it gives you about, I mean, when I'm in a house, it takes me I'm about, you know, when, as long, if I don't have a, a buyer with me, I can be in and out of a house in about three minutes. In the house, all the way around, outside around the house, right? And then give it my rating of a one to 10. But what I'm trying to, to capture is the, um, is this house worth the price? Is the, is the condition um, meeting the value? Yeah, good. I think that um, as far as area knowledge goes, another item is that um, knowing the neighborhoods, right? And what we like to call the chemical makeup of the neighborhoods, but where you're, how, you know, if you're gonna stick to that $300,000 price point, or if somebody comes in saying that they're looking for a $300,000 single family home with a pool, then you've got to be able to come up with two or three or all of the neighborhoods that that house could possibly exist. Well, I mean, that, that's the pro tip of it is, is that you're there to understand the builder, the quality of construction, right? You're there to evaluate the people you see on the streets because then you know who lives there, right? Because then you know who the target buyer is for that neighborhood meaning, you know, especially with 
the Rona, if you're previewing at eight o'clock in the morning, there's people out walking all over the place. So um, the idea is to, for you to understand the chemical makeup of that neighborhood. I mean, is it close? Is there a school close by? I mean, because the to give you an example, one of the neighborhoods we have, it just kills me when it does not have a designated school district that people have to put their kids on a bus and drive more than 25 minutes to the school. When you're, when you're previewing houses and you're looking through the school districts, that's why you're, because the, the value of having the MLS sheet is you're looking at the key statistics. You're looking at the bedroom bathroom count. You're looking at the lot size. I mean, to me, you're just looking for the negative, right? Cause it's like, oh, wow. I didn't know that you could see the power line from this backyard. But the challenge is, is that when you look at comps is you can't see it backwards. It's why appraisers are not as accurate as a local area expert is because the appraiser calls the agent and the agent gives their opinion. Like we've all played phone tech or, you know, the telephone game before, right? Like the other point about it is, is that this is your freaking job, right? Like it's your job, it's a challenge to each of you on this call. It's like, do I not want to be better at what I do and know that when you are, you're gonna, you know, cause the thing is, is you should be doing it for your, your neighborhood, whether it's 250 homes or 500. And then in neighborhoods where you have buyers, because the goal is that you need to, I, I got accused in early on in my career of telling people not to buy houses. And people would tell me, why would you do that? And I'd say, well, because I knew better ones existed. But I know that that led to more sales for me because when I would go walk into the house, I'd be like, ah, this is a seven, right? And they'd be like, oh, well, we think it's an eight. And I'm like, well, do you care that you back to a 55 mile an hour road? Well, no, we both have hearing disorders. Okay, well then this is a 10, right? Like, Because <laughs> they can't hear the traffic, right? Like, I'm okay. with you. Yeah, right. yeah. thanks right. for the explanation. <laughs> but I mean, those are, those are things that you can't see. I think though, here's some other pieces. Here's some other ones, some examples that I have seen uh, win people over very quickly. And that is when somebody comes in with a street name and you know what, where that street exists at that address, that's powerful, right? Like Tatum, for example, or Scottsdale Road, or these, these roads that are 15, 25 miles long. But if they come in with an address and they're talking about 11211 North Tatum, then you know it's in between Choya and Shea. Or if they come in and they talk about 12626 Scottsdale Road, you know that it's then north of Cactus, right? So being able to place that property when somebody comes in out of like online or, or when somebody calls up and they ask about a specific address and you may not know that specific address, but you can at least get close in the vicinity and talk about cross streets or neighborhood that that address is in. That's then impressive from their side of it. Yeah. I mean, you're looking for something that they don't know, right? When you have key statistics about a neighborhood, if you have, I mean, to me, while you're out there, you got to know like um, the school districts, you got to know if it's golf course communities and you got to know the 
the the stats you got to know is how many holes they have what the country club fee is the you know, i mean if you're working luxury subdivisions um i mean they're they're again you're just looking for information that you can separate get. yourself with yeah to separate yourself from everybody else yeah so you can get ahead right i mean i think that we wrap this up see buck just because we've we've gone on here but these are the two things that we focus on that we like, you got to study them. It's not like you can wait to let, you know, you know, who knows about all of these things. It seems like the agent that's been in the business for 30 years that has sold a ton of houses. Like, man, I wish I knew as much as that person. Right. Let me, and there's two ways to get there. One is organically. You can just work with a client at a time, hold your open house. When they ask questions, you'll figure out the answers. Or the other way is that you can engineer that knowledge and you can practice and you can study and you can go out and you can find the different country club fees. You can find the different, you, you, can, you can have a four hour a day research project to know more about that area than anybody else. I mean, that, if we're gonna add one, the hard work of it. That's the hard part of it. Yeah, if I were gonna add one more thing to it, it would just be your goal is to get price range knowledge, right? The reason why I don't like realtor tours is that you don't usually go see 12 houses between 300 and 325. You don't see, you know, 15 houses from 700 to 750. Meaning, because that's when you learn the specifics. Because when you have a buyer- Well, and realtor tours don't have zero day on market houses. That's true. That's true. Like, realtor tours, well, realtor tours only have houses that didn't sell. So you're right. looking at all of the leftover inventory when being on a realtor tour. And that because your goal is to to find out what is it, what I want to see homes. Your goal is to see them first day on the market. The good news is, is that's when they allow the most previews. But if you can see the house as soon as it comes out on the market, then you will see a 10 and you'll know it because it will be under contract the next day. <clears throat> yeah. But right. within the price range now, it's just one last point is that because if you work with a buyer and they're like, and they're like, well, I don't love the houses. Then you can say, well, for six, for let's say they're looking for 450 and they're like, okay, well in this neighborhood, you can't get one for 450, but in three subdivisions over, you want that third car garage and a pool, you can get one, right? Like, cause that's your, that's how you get to convert more is because you then can dangle a carrot of another area and then you drop local knowledge while doing it. And then you can entice them to continue to work with you in that other neighborhood because you've built that knowledge. So the other aspect of it is, is so that you can do we, we used to, we made standard, the market's too hot now, but what I call neighborhood tours, right? And that is going from area of town to area of town to area of town, um, major subdivisions, and then talking about the highlighted features, um, the school ranking, the, you know, the, Vicinity the, to a the HOA, the HOA events, the the different things about those areas, um, and then you highlight them, and that automatically makes you the area expert, even though you didn't cover everything, um, and that allows you to convert more buyers.
I mean, listings is the same. I mean, the reason why we talked about listings is, is that, and why I tell you to preview the houses in your neighborhood is your, your best way to win is in your neighborhood for listings because they want to work with a local area expert. All right, Seabach, nicely done. Thank the you. The version of the podcast. Any questions? Question. Oh, Jeff Dial, welcome to the public Zoom room. <laughs> so when we're looking at knowing the rental rate and you say you statistic, like I can kind of like in my market say, hey, it's gone up like 50% over the last four years, but because I've heard that before, but where do I go to get that data? What should I be looking at the pool that I guess for the rental stuff, which I don't pay as much attention to? You, I mean, here's the thing is, is everything that is given, you can get it from MLS. All you got to do is go to the rental section and pull comps in the zip code that you're in. What? What? Closing. Yeah. Pull the sales, the closed leases for a six month period of time from 2014. Then pull the next six, then the next six months of 14, pull the average. And then the next year, pull the first half and the second half, just in your zip code, all of the lease prices and you're going to see this trend. So it's, um, it's why, I mean, our goal is to be able to teach you to, to, it was uh, one of the agents on our team. She said, does anybody know the Florence rental market? And nobody answered her. And I, I called her and I just said, you can just go and pull the rentals listed in the, in the, over the past three months and see what the, average days on market is because average days on market tells you how hot that rental market is and right now in, in in our county if you pull it it's less than 10 days like that is insanely hot so i mean the the crazy part is they met they don't allow you to measure how long from when it's listed till how long it went under contract they count all of the days on market which is not helpful because it's really the how long it was available for active. And then you can see the prices. What I told her is just, you can track the, you know, if prices, rental prices are moving up. Cause you can, if you don't want to do it on a six month, it, it's better to do it on a quarterly basis. I just didn't want to create too much homework. So good question, Jeff. Thank you. What else? For the, of course it's ringing. You don't have for the uh, population, are you getting census, census data? Yeah. Yeah. I just use U.S. Census data. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's here's what it is. Just go to Google and just say what is the population of this, right? Yeah. And it, fortunately for that, that's an easier one to get. Even Siri answers those questions. Hey Siri, what's the population of Phoenix, Arizona? I hope somebody's phone just picked up. <laughs> All right. The Solution to Real Estate Podcast. Thank you guys for coming. Talk to you later. See ya.